Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Marie, The Spiritual Homegirl, and we are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. Happy Homegirl Thursday. Y'all know what it is, it's another episode of the podcast, so that's why I'm here. But before we get started, let me give y'all my usual note of gratitude. Out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land, you choose to lend me your ears once a week, and I hella appreciate that. First things first, shout out to my new Patreon subscribers, Maria DeMarco, Tia Crosby, and Jessica Guevara. Thank you very much for supporting your girl on the journey to better self and spirit, to empower community on the homegirl, just like you perspective. For those who have not signed up for my Patreon, definitely do so at patreon.com. At Spiritual Homegirl. I have tiers starting at $5 for general support, but we're currently doing a challenge for um, this season. And I've been working with them and dropping game and things like that to help people find ways to tap into this Leo energy as well as use the the, uh, Aquarian full moon that just passed in order to um, achieve what we are working on in that challenge. So in order to fool with your girl on a different level, you want to see what I'm doing, you know what I'm saying, what I personally do, behind the scenes stuff, video uh, interviews, things of that nature, um, as well as some other benefits in the tier. I also have a, a private newsletter that I do send to them. And um, and that's only for Patreon members, subscribers only. Definitely tap into patreon.com um, with Spiritual Homegirl. So I'm really excited to continue to grow that Patreon community. I really enjoy um, creating content on a different level um, for those that see the value in what I do and want to work with me a little more. So I really appreciate y'all. Again, shout out to Maria, Tia, and Jessica. Shout out to y'all. Thank y'all so much for fooling with me. So this episode is episode 102. And... It has my girl Amina from Analogy the Healing Tree. And I'm going to keep it short because I explained how I meet her in the actual interview. But she is really, really great with crystals. I have not done a crystal episode in about four years. For those who don't know, Spiritual Homegirl has been in existence since September of 2016. When I first launched, I launched three episodes. It was Who is Spiritual Homegirl that basically told my whole life story. And for some reason, that's hard to find on streaming platforms. So if you find it, let your girl know. Um, (laughs) so I can actually, uh, repost it for people because apparently I know I have the master, but apparently, um, other people can't find it. So, um, that as well as I had hater one oh one and, oh no, crystal, crystal one one was maybe like the fifth episode I did. So that wasn't the, the original three that I launched with, but I haven't done, I say all that to say I haven't done a crystal episode in so long. So to do this episode with Amina, I thought it was great. And um, I really like her knowledge. And, and again, we did this through video, um, but I'm working on repurposing how I want to do that video. So that video is going to surface. It's just a matter of um, I want to do it right. I don't like to half-ass anything that I do. So if I'm going to do that, I'm going to definitely do that right. Also, tap in with your girl. I got some stuff on the way. Stay tuned. If you have not signed up for Tribe Letter, please do so at spiritualhomegirl.com. If you have not uh, followed me on social media, Facebook and Instagram, YouTube at Spiritual Homegirl, definitely stay tuned. A lot of stuff is launching sooner than later. I've been talking a lot about what I've been working on, working on, working on. This semester is over, okay? So it is time to do what feels right. Um, so I'm really excited to bring that to the table. But I do not want to uh, hold up this episode any longer. It is a longer episode, y'all. So brew some tea, get a pen, get a pad. Um, for those that are listening um, 
on the go, you know, see if you can open up your notes app and def and don't do it while driving y'all, please, please be safe, but definitely prepare to take notes. Amina drops a lot of game. We're talking all things crystal healing, how to make crystals work for you, how to charge them, how to uh, pick a right crystal, why there's uh you need to be vigilant with picking fake crystals. Um, as well as, you know, how sometimes some crystals don't need to cost as much as they do. There's certain ones that cost a grip. And um, Amina shows you how to get the benefits that you need without breaking the arm and the leg. Some people got it, some people don't. So this is the episode for everybody in this case. So with that being said, uh, enjoy. Hey, y'all, Shagumari, the Spiritual Homegirl. And I am super excited to bring to the podcast Amina of Analogy, the Healing Tree. Amina, how you doing? Peace, I'm well. I am family. happy. I'm sorry, go ahead. Are you fine? <clears throat> so I don't know if I, I told y'all on Instagram, I, I actually said this before. I said, I met this woman a year ago at a spot on Melrose and her crystal jewelry was really beautiful. And her knowledge of crystals was like off the charts. And I remember saying, I got to get on the show and divine time prevailed. And here we are. So Amina is super knowledgeable about crystals. Like it ain't even funny, bro. But for those that don't know though, Amina, um, what is Analogy the Healing Tree? Analogy the Healing Tree is a place where um, you can basically come and get any type of healing that you need. I call it the, um, the analogy for healing, which means that there are other ways that you can heal, you know, like you have crystals, you have sage, you have the the chakras that are important. So just other ways that you can be aware of how you need to heal, you know, than the standard traditional. So under the tree, we have different umbrellas where I like to talk about um, at some point, I'm going to get more into like herbal and holistic things. But right now we really just focus on crystals and energy and um, we do crystal readings, things like that. I like that. That's cool. That's a cool idea. The umbrella. Yeah, I like too that. Many, I like too that. many, too many things that you can use to heal other than just like go to the doctor. Let's get some medicine. You know what I mean? Meditation, yoga, everything is so important. Affirmations. So we just get caught up in. Let's go to the doctor. Let's let the doctor tell us how we feel. Let's let the doctor give us some medicine. And that's not the only medicine that we need. You know. I totally agree with you on that. And for those who don't know, um, I know what you're doing, but what do you have in your hand? Well, I have some Palo Santo and I'm actually cleansing my crystals. And this is one way that you can actually clean your crystals. I don't have any silenite here, but it's like a real friable kind of when you touch it, it dusts in your hand and you feel like it might fall apart type of stone. And so something like this is just really good to cleanse your crystals if you don't want to like drop them in water. Because I know a lot of people think that water is the only way to cleanse your crystals, but it's not. A little smoke, sage, you know. Palo Santo, this is my favorite. That's my favorite too. Oh, I love it. My favorite. They have incense and all kinds of other different ways you can get the smell, but the stick is my favorite. And I love copal too. That one is a really powerful cleanser, um, charger, charges the air for, you know, and Palo Santo does too. 
charges the air for intentions, things that you want, you know. So if you think about it, your crystals are for intentions. So if you're combining the power of the Palo Santo to cleanse it, to prime the air for setting intentions, and then you have your crystals that you want to use for specific purposes, it's like a double whammy. <laughs> See, this is why I wanted to put on the show because she explains it in a way that's super easy to understand. Now, Mina, where are you from? Like, how'd you get involved with crystals and, and healing? So where I'm from from is back east. I was born in New York, but I was raised in the South. So I'll say that um, the South really wasn't where I got into crystals. I'll say California is where I really got into crystals. And I came out to California probably about, oh, man, I came out here in 2011, I believe. I've been out here a really long time. But about 2010 is when I really started like dealing crystals. And I'd say about 2005 is when I really like started personally getting into them, you know, letting them help me first and seeing what like, what things I could gain from them. Like for instance, uh, Citrine is one of my favorites. I have one on too. Like this is a really great prosperity crystal. So it's one of my favorites. And um, I really realized by having this around that it just created prosperity, not like wealth prosperity, but like spiritual prosperity. And it's also um, a self-cleansing stone. So it never really needs to be put with other crystals to, uh, to get cleansed. It cleanses itself. So it's a really awesome one of my favorites. I'm really glad you brought up citron and um, prosperity and um, in abundance because I think people in our society, because of where we're in a Western world and because of capitalism and things like that, people automatically think money when they think of prosperity, but it's really so much more than that. It can be prosperity of creativity or, or, or something of that nature or um, just fullness. Like, so it's bigger than just money. So I'm really glad. All serious health issues, and economic consequences, which we will discuss in just a moment. Um, now, what people kind of don't realize um, is that intimate partner violence can start very early teen dating sometimes those teen dating experiences that puppy love that ends up you know you think you love sick but it's really abuse um and 11 million men excuse me 11 million women and 5 million men who have reported um experiencing any type of intimate partner violence they said they first experienced these forms of violence before the age of 18 um so that's a general overview and going back to those consequences, um, man, it's, it's a lot. But for starters, from a physical standpoint, when someone is experiencing intimate partner violence, uh, conditions, negative health conditions, um, or things that can negatively affect your health are conditions affecting the heart, digestive, reproductive, muscle, bones, and nervous systems. And they usually are chronic, so they're long-term. Um, also, there may be some mental health problems like depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and also to cope. If there's no coping mechanisms, there is a higher risk for engaging in health risk behaviors like smoking, drinking, um, and doing uh, other risky things sexually. Um, and then there's also loss of productivity for time off and, and things of that nature, uh, re related injuries that take people out of work. Um, but again, we're going to get into that a little bit, a little bit more. 
So um, some more facts that I got. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. Now, in one year, this ends up being 10 million, more than 10 million women and men. People kind of forget that men also experience intimate partner violence as well. And I don't think that's something that should be uh, forgotten about. Now, one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or, because again, these all can occur together, intimate partner stalking, um, and and um, also, like, I'm trying to make sure I work this right, y'all, bear with me, but the impacts of that can include injury, fearfulness, PTSD, contracting of uh, sexually transmitted diseases. So basically saying that these statistics, so 25% of women and about maybe a little under 10% of men experience severe violence where it leads to those types of issues. And again, these are coming from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is where the stats are coming from. Also, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. Um, this also includes slapping, shoving, pushing. Um, so it's, they're saying not necessarily severe, but is if you notice, you know, first it was um, one in four and one in nine women and men, respectively. Now it's saying just any, like some form, some form of physical violence is one in three women and one in four men. And that, again, includes slapping, shoving, pushing. And some people they don't consider that domestic violence. Um, I'm not sure why that is, I guess, because it's not supposedly, quote unquote, severe um, but I do think that those things do have the potential to have lasting impacts psychologically, um, even if it is something like a slap that may not be um, like a long term. So I think that's kind of interesting how people approach the the less severe as possibly not counting. Um, also, one in seven women, women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in seven women and one in eight, 18 men have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime to the point where they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. Women between the ages of 18 and 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. Domestic victimization is uh, related to a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. And unfortunately, only 34% of people who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. Now, this is another trigger warning, y'all. We're dealing with rape and statistics of that. One in five women and one in 71 men in the United States have been raped in their lifetime. And almost half of female and male victims. And these numbers were not too far apart. 46.7% women and are female and 44.9% male victims of rape in the United States were raped by an acquaintance. And of these, um, of these percentages, 45.4% of female rape victims and 29% of male rape victims were actually raped by an intimate partner. Um, uh, stalking, 19.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime. I have been one of those women. I'll tell y'all a quick story. So when I was a freshman in college their Facebook had like, you know, Facebook was kind of like new and things like that. And Facebook was kind of like, like nobody was really, really on Facebook like that, like that, like all the little apps and stuff wasn't really on there. And I remember, um, there was a guy that would like watch me on campus, but he would never like talk to me. He would never like say hello. Now granted, um, I never dated him and he was just kind of weird to me because it's not and for that. I never would, but he would see me on campus, see me walking around, would never go out of his way to say hello, never make himself seen, 
he would hit me up on my Facebook and say, you look beautiful going to class, Maria. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like, so this man knows my whereabouts. And then um, maybe a couple of weeks later, I was getting these weird knocks on my door. I lived in a dorm suite with another girl, but she was out of town um, visiting family. And I remember I would get these knocks on my door and nobody bit the door. I thought that was kind of odd. And people kind of kept playing with my with my door, and I didn't like that at all. And um, the messages continued for another couple of weeks. I started to freak out at that point. I started switching my routine, started telling my friends, hey, can you walk me to class, things like that, because it, it was weird. Now, I knew who he was, but it was just I, I still didn't feel safe. I was kind of like, I can, I can never find him, but he can find me. Strange. So one night, I'm by myself, and it's late at night, maybe like 10, and I was in the mood to go out. And somebody kept knocking on my door again. I'm, I'm mad because I know somebody's, I don't know who it is. I'm thinking it's that guy. I don't know. But I closed the door and I hear something jiggle. Cause I had a, a, a lock that we all had a lock that you, if you play with enough, maybe the top lock, you'll probably get it loose. And, um, I felt something jiggling and I realized this motherfucker on the other side of the door is trying to get into my dorm suite. So, my first instinct was, oh, shit, this, I don't know what's going to happen. Because there was only one way in, one way out. But it was a relatively uh, populous dorm suite. So I really wasn't sure, like, how that was going to work um, in terms of him getting out and, and things like that. But, and then suddenly my my emotions turned to, like, rage. Because I had a really bad temper at the time. So at first it went from, oh, shit, this person's trying to get in. I don't know who this is, to... I'm going to kill this motherfucker on the other side of the door. Like, that's really how I felt. I was really angry and I was upset at the audacity of somebody trying to enter my space and you playing on my, you playing with my, with my living arrangements. Like, this is where I live. It's where I lay my head and you playing with me and all that being played with. So, I think, and against my better judgment, and maybe I would have did the same thing now, um, I don't know. Because I feel like now the law says if it's imminent danger, you do what you got to do. But, I grabbed a, a big butcher knife and I'm like, yo, like I, this person is trying to pick the lock. So I'm just going to open the door and get the stabbing. That was, that was the intention. So when they pick the lock and I see it click, I open the door and I see somebody run. So I said, wow. So man, it was, it was, it was weird. It was weird. Wait, wait, no. That's the second time. The second time is when that happened. I apologize. Let me go back. The door had jiggled first and I clicked it locked. I locked it when I realized they were playing with it. And that's, when I, and that's where the fear came over me the first time where I said, oh shit, they really almost just picked my lock. And then I got angry and was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to open the door if they keep fucking playing with me. And that's where the safety piece came in because it was like, damn, you probably wouldn't have done that if you wasn't so pissed off. Because it's one thing to defend somebody coming in your house. It's another thing to open the door and get ready to, to slice and dice somebody that's trying to get in your house. It's a difference. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure I clear that up. It's a very, I ain't going to say it's touchy-touchy, but it's just like, I just remember being so mad when that shit happened. Um, and I didn't stay at my place for like a week. Like, I remember having somebody come with me to go get clothes. And I was I was at one of the homies' houses like, nope, I can't do that. And it stopped, which is kind of weird. Um, but, but, yeah, that's stalking. Now, 
Another trigger warning is homicide. It's also as close to home. Um, 72% of all murder suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of these murder suicides are female. I had a relative that was murdered by her husband. Um, that he, I, I, She was trying to leave. She was ready to divorce. And he, I guess, invited her to like link up with him and maybe they could talk or, or in amicably. But I don't know what, what the premise was with him, but I do know that my relative went to the place alive and she was gone. Um, or she was, or not, was not alive. Um, by the time it was all said and done. And I'm, I'm going to, if that's okay with y'all, I'm going to more than likely reference the situation when it comes to abuse and signs and things of that nature, because the dude that her husband, her, her ex-husband or the estranged husband, he was really trying to play this shit on some bullshit in terms of trying to villainize my relative who ended up being a victim of his ways. And I, and I think that's kind of interesting how that shit works when it comes to abusers because abusers never realize they're fucking abusers or they're in a denial. Um, so, yeah, I told y'all this episode is pretty, is we're, we're just laying this shit all the way down. So, again, y'all, bear with me. Children and domestic violence. One in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to this violence, which is very unfortunate because we know when you're children, you know, a lot of your first examples of how to do things, you know, are, are done when you're children. So when you see an example like that, sometimes abuse is all a child knows and that reflects in how they deal with other people and that reflects in how they deal with other people as an adult, which is very unfortunate. Um, if they're not able to get the help or resources to get that, um, to get that healed. So in terms of the economic impact, like I mentioned earlier, Victims of intimate partner violence, they lose a total of 8 million days of paid work every year. Between 21 and 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from the abuse. So if you need a mental health day or if you're recovering from your from, from injuries or if you're scared for your life and you don't want to go to your workplace because they may know where you work. They, they lose their job. 21 to 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their job because of that, which is, which is foul. It kind of makes me wonder, like, the flaws in the system is just so, they're not, they're not enough. It's not enough to protect people that are going through this. Physical mental impacts of intimate partner violence. Women abused by their intimate partners are more vulnerable to contracting HIV or other STIs due to forced intercourse or prolonged exposure to stress. Also, studies suggest that there is a relationship between intimate partner violence and depression and suicidal behavior. Physical, mental, sexual, and reproductive health effects have been linked with intimate partner violence, including adolescent pregnancy, unintended pregnancy in general, miscarriage, stillbirth, intrauterine hemorrhage, nutritional deficiencies, abdominal pain, and other gastrointestinal problems, neurological disorders, chronic pain, disability, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as non-communicable diseases such as hypertension, cancer, and cardiovascular diseases. Victims of domestic violence are also at higher risk for developing addictions to alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. That was something similar um, like we went over with the CDC um, stats. So there's many definitions I learned when it comes to domestic violence and intimate partner violence. I thought it was interesting because the CDC referred to it as intimate partner violence, and then the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence said, hey, it's domestic violence. 
So their definition of domestic violence is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or other abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern of control and power perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, and emotional abuse. The frequency and severity of domestic violence can vary dramatically. So they're saying, look, it's a system of harmful behaviors that affect the body or um, or it affects you sexually, threats, or emotionally. And like they said with the CDC, they were in agreement by saying that the frequency and severity varies dramatically. Um, now, in California, because I am in California, I live in California, 32.9% of California women and 27.3% of California men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking in their lifetimes. Now, you know, I've been talking about firearms um, over the past couple of weeks, if you guys have been following my Instagram. And one thing I did notice when I was taking my test and when I was doing my background check and things of that nature is that if you get something that's involved in domestic violence, there is no owning a firearm. And if you have a firearm and you have a DV situation, um, domestic violence situation, you don't own that firearm no more. Let me get more specific. So domestic violence, dating violence, and stalker misdemeanors, those who have any of those, they're prohibited from possessing firearms in California. Now, if you have a temporary or final protective order on you, including dating partners, prohibited from possessing firearms not those that's petitioning but the respondents the person that they're putting it on and then if even if you got the gun if you mess around and you got a misdemeanor for dating violence domestic violence stalking or you had a restraining order on you whether it was temporary or final even if you got a gun you got to give it up so i thought that was interesting i actually think that's very good in california um i pray that it's actually enforced um, and then also in California, background check, even if you may have had like a, a restraining order back in the day and it's on your record still and, and you know, you apply, you still not going to get the gun because your background check not going to clear and you don't get your money back. So I wanted to talk about um, now that we've kind of gotten the physical um, overview, mostly of uh, domestic violence out the way. I really want to go into something that that really inspired me to um, there's, there's so there's a couple things that maybe want to do this episode my cousin's memory i always wanted to kind of do an episode like this didn't know how to approach it i mean shit i told y'all it's it's almost three o'clock in the morning and i'm doing this episode the day of because i i just wanted to sit and make sure that however i approach it i approach it with respect and with care and with love but i also want to talk about how psychological abuse is is really a silence problem and i think people don't give it much uh credence or much uh, validity because of the fact that it's not a punch in the face or kick or um, throwing objects. Psychological abuse is very fucking damaging. It is. And I think a lot of us, more than we like to admit, have our stories where somebody has tried to twist our minds in order to accept behavior that was less of the bare minimum um, of what a human, is, especially a human in a loving relationship, or supposed to be in a loving relationship, is deserving of. I've been there. I know a lot of people that's been there. I know people that's still there. So um, I really want to, again, have this conversation to really uh, help push the conversation forward to um, address any type of stigmas and kind of shame surrounding this. Because it's a lot of us that can relate to somebody that, again, has tried to poison us mentally, emotionally, psychologically, all because they want some fucking power and control 
in a situation that really takes two people to lead. You can't do a relationship with just one person doing everything, making all decisions, taking it out of your hands. No, it takes two people to collaborate and compromise and, and, and communicate on what they want. And one person can't do that shit by themselves. And when a person feels they can by, by breaking down the spirit and the psychological um, capacity of another, that's not a relationship. That's a fucking dictatorship. So I just, I just not, I'm just not with it, but you know what? Let me get some water and, um, I will be right back and we'll talk about it more in general. If y'all want to get some water, get some tea, woosah, if if some of y'all done bought my aromatherapy inhalers, if y'all want to, you know, take you a couple of deep breaths, go ahead and do that and I'll be right back. All right, y'all. So it is time to talk about psychological abuse. Now, I really like the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence's, uh, definitions because, they're, they're worded in such a way that, man, like they're very easy to understand and they make these facts very easy to communicate to people. And their version of psychological abuse involves trauma to the victim caused by verbal abuse, acts, threats of acts, or coercive tactics. Perpetrators use psychological abuse to control, terrorize, and denigrate their victims. It frequently occurs prior to or concurrently with physical or sexual abuse. Remember, because intimate partner violence can be a combination of different types of abuse. Um, Psychological abuse includes, and I'm just curious if some of you all can relate to this or if you knew uh, one of your homegirls or homies that's been through this. Humiliating the victim, controlling what a victim can or cannot do, withholding information from the victim, deliberately doing something to make the victim feel diminished or embarrassed, isolating the victim from friends and or family, denying the victim access to money or other basic resources, stalking, demeaning the victim in public or in private, undermining the victim's confidence and or sense of self-worth, and convincing the victim she or he is crazy. Now, I would like to to break it down a little further for those that are trying to figure out if this is if this is what it is. Now, I can only tell you from my personal experience and from the experience that I've witnessed firsthand. But when I say firsthand, I mean witness of others firsthand. So I can only speak on my experience and the shit that I was able to see. But the way I seen the, the victim was um, humiliating the victim. And I'm going to go over all of these, all the examples I've seen, because unfortunately I've seen all of them in some way, shape or form. Um, but humiliating the victim can come off where if you know a woman in, or a man is insecure about something, you constantly pick on that. In order to keep their confidence down. If a woman. And what I saw. If a woman was concerned about her weight. The partner knew that the woman was insecure about her weight. They would constantly say. You look fat. You're so fat. You need to. Why don't you lose a couple of pounds. I mean nobody's going to want you. If you're you know. Like I don't know where you think you're going. Like I'm the only one that wants you this way. But you you know. You're fat. Like I don't. Do I look fat in this? Yeah you do. Actually. Stuff like that, knowing that the, the 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 woman was insecure and she would cry and he would say, but I still love you though. I mean, nobody going to love you but me. Nobody wants a fat girl. And I was like, wow, like you're a, you're a dick. But that was one. Controlling. And when I say humiliating the victim, that, that basically is saying like, she did it, they did it in front of me and other people. That's humiliation. You know your woman is insecure about something. She's told you in confidence. You publicly tell her that she's fat, knowing that's going to hurt her feelings. Then you follow it up and say that you love her that way, even though you just point out something she's insecure about. And you said nobody else is going to want her because of 
the very thing she's insecure about that you made her feel even lower about. So that's that's a very interesting uh, example of humiliating the victim. Now, controlling what the victim can or cannot do. I have seen situations where a man, uh, shoot, a man and woman. I remember, um, and this is going to sound, some of y'all going to be like, shit. I, well, I'm going to tell your ass, shit, because I do think it counts. But um, one thing I think that's interesting that has the potential to lead to psychological abuse is the dictation on what a grown ass person can do. And I know y'all going to disagree with me and y'all can, but I just, I mean, I don't understand how you could tell me otherwise on this. And I said that respectfully and I said that with love. But the thing that I think that kind of resembles this is when y'all dictate, when I say y'all, shit, let me say we, because I did this once myself and I've had this done to me um, years ago. When we try to dictate who our ex or who we can talk to or who our partner can talk to, don't talk to no more exes. You can't talk to them no more. We're together. You can't talk to them no more. And unless that person already didn't talk to their ex, I do think that's a form of control. That's that insecure shit. It is. And I know some of y'all going to be like, bitch, fuck you. And I don't care. You can say that. That's fine. I won't, I'm, I'm completely cool with that because I already know that's coming from an insecure place. That's coming from a woman who told her partner years ago, you better not talk to that bitch again. I'm telling you, that's to me, I think that's a form of psychological control. If, if he goes along with it and he didn't want to, that's abuse. If he doing something because he want to make you happy and he really don't want to do it, that shit is abuse, dog. Just like if you having sex with your man and you really don't want to do it, he want to do it, and he's co- you know, coercing you to do it, and he's kind of like taking it from you, taking it. Y'all know how that go when a man want to take it from you? That's abuse. And I know sometimes we get into this old school way of thinking of being like, oh, well, a man going to do what a man do, and if he don't get it from somewhere, he going he gonna to get it from somebody else. If that's what it takes to get your drawers down to have sex when you don't want to, that's abuse. Dictate who your partner can and cannot talk to against their will. That's abuse. It may not be whooping ass, but it's still abuse. Withholding information from the victim. That's another thing. You know somebody gives a fuck about you and what you're doing, and you purposely playing mind games with them because you want to fucking be funny. Hey, what's going on? Why you want to know? Where are you going? Out. Okay, like where? I mean, why you want to know? Like, being difficult on purpose, like, the mind games and shit. Like, no, if, if people are genuinely just asking a common question and all of a sudden you start withholding information and acting real secretive and shit, to me, that's also psychological abuse. That shit is playing games. Don't nobody got time for that shit. Just say, hey, I don't feel like telling you where the fuck I'm going. Or just tell them where you're going if it ain't that serious. Like, some, I don't know. It's just, I don't know, man. People just kind of like to play games. And it's a control thing. We'll get into that a little later too because sometimes people just would do anything for the sake of having some form of control even if it's a roach sized portion of crumb control deliberately doing something to make the victim feel diminished or embarrassed that's the same thing as um uh, the, the the fat humiliation uh that man calling her fat so that's the same thing we just mentioned isolating the victim from friends and or family i'm gonna give y'all one good line i've heard from a motherfucker that did this don't tell your family or friends about what we go through because I don't want nobody in my business. And the gag is, the reason why people say that shit is because they know that if your family and friends found out how fucked up you was treating whoever you was with, they wouldn't want them with your ass. So that's why people do that. Sometimes people don't want their business being out. And I understand, I'm a, I'm a very private person. So I respect 
not wanting your business out. But when it comes to somebody being mistreated and then you lie and say, oh, well, I mean, don't tell our business when I'm mistreating you because then people are going to see I'm an abuser and I can't have that. Because usually abusers is cool with everybody else. They just treat their partners like shit, which ain't cool either. But we'll get into that later on. But that's a really good red flag I've learned firsthand from a motherfucker who will be playing psychological um, games and things of that nature. Mind games are not sexy. I always tell people, like, you play games with me, I'll flip the table over. I don't give a fuck. I'll leave. I'm not finna. I don't do tests. I don't do none of that. If you got to play games with me and you got to test me without just asking me directly and accepting the face value, honesty, and transparency you get, then you ain't really deserving of the shit no way. But, again, I digress. Um, another version of psychological abuse. Oh, it's another one here. Yeah, I, I see that we kind of talk about this on Twitter a lot um, as, a, as a collective. But denying the victim access to money or other basic resources. And I think sometimes people joke about this shit and it's not funny. It's not. Like withholding assistance because people want sex. I think that's very lame. And I think that's also a form of psychological abuse. Dangling money and resources, knowing that somebody is financially hard up, you dangle it over their head like a carrot, knowing that they need that money. So you're saying, hey, if you do this, then I'll give you this, knowing that you really don't have any intentions on doing that for them. Or you keep pushing the goalposts back and saying, okay, well, you did that. We'll do some more stuff and I'll give you this money. And usually that stuff is um, at the cost of their dignity and respect. Or just flat out saying, no, I have this stuff. I, I could help you. I just don't want to help you because I I just don't. And I think and, I'm, and I know some people say, oh, well, that's boundary setting. Yeah, that's true. But I think the intent of how you decide to deny somebody um, assistance is what really determines if it's abuse or not. Now, if you're saying, hey, I ain't got it like that. I got $40, but I'm behind on bills. I got gas. I'm, I'm really I really don't have it. That's one thing. But if you have money and you see this person struggling or you promise them something and you don't give it to them, knowing that you promised them that money, knowing that there was already some type of understanding. Or you just say shit like, oh, well, I would have gave that to you, but you pissed me off the other day, so I'm not going to give you that $50 to help you with your light bill. That right there creates a, it's almost like a dog, right? And I know some of y'all going to be like, what? I'm not saying that people are, are dogs or animals. But what I'm saying is it's that training aspect that abusers do when it comes to how they withhold shit. They think that because they have the treats, in this case, the money, they dictate how you act. And if you remember about training dogs, dogs will do things based on treats. And after a certain amount of treats, they ask is trained. You ain't even got to give them no incentive. They just do it. And I think that's how abusers think when it comes to uh, withholding money and resources. After a while, they know she going to do what I want her to do or he going to do what I want him to do to get this money or to get these resources. So she going to tighten up. He going to tighten up after a while. And in order to get this, they're going to change their behavior to do what the fuck I want to do. And only then I might give them what I said I was going to give them if they act right. So that's what I mean when I say it's like a dog training aspect. It kind of reminds me of that, which again is really foul because we're humans with, um, we're humans with like our own computers in our head you feel me we have brains we have the power of decision and choice and logic and things of that nature that we can utilize and then somebody's gonna manipulate that for the sake of some motherfucking power it's lame also what else we got here stalking that's a that's a given all this attention somebody tell you leave them alone you keep calling their ass over and over i didn't see any stories on twitter where people don't call folks 200 times 
that's that's stalking. When somebody tells you to leave them a fuck alone and you keep going around and you bothering them, man, I know a situation where somebody showed us to somebody's house. All because they didn't want to talk. And instead of actually letting things breathe, and they probably could have been cool since that person showed up to that person's house, they done ruined the relationship for good because they're out of bounds. All because they couldn't just accept a leave me alone. They was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go to the house. That's the worst thing. That's stalking. That's unwanted attention, unwarranted attention. Another way is undermining the victim's confidence and or sense of self-worth. Again, you ain't going to find nobody better than me. You ain't going to find nobody that's going to love you like me. Ain't nobody going to love you, bitch. Nobody wants you. Like that's, that's undermining the confidence and the self-worth. Or you ain't deserving of this. You ain't deserving of a person like me. An abuser will be quick to motherfucking tell you what you ain't deserving of, huh? Like, like they a prize. You don't deserve me. Many person, people want to be with me. Many men want me. Many women want me. I ain't got to be with you. I'm doing you a favor. That kind of stuff. Which I have you second guessing what you bring to the table. Like you ain't a good person. Like you're not a good partner. Like you're not worthy of the love you deserve. That's another way. And another, oh man, this one here. Convincing the victim that he or she is crazy. And this always seems to fucking happen when you try to hold their ass accountable, huh? Man, crazy how that works. The irony in that. Imagine you trying to hold somebody accountable, then they want to be like, you're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy for putting up with this shit, huh? I'm, good thing I don't have to. If I if I understand that, now unfortunately, some people that are being abused, they don't quite have that figured out yet. And um, and I pray that that they get to a point that they can. And I know and I understand that based on the severity, it can be very dangerous to uh, to make moves. Um, but we'll get to that a little later because again, like I said, the spiritual community collectively does a very shitty ass job with addressing that. But again, we'll get to that in a moment. In a moment. So. Going back to psychological abuse, it also increases the trauma of physical and sexual abuse. And a number of studies have basically shown that psychological abuse independently causes long-term damage to a victim's mental health. I can see that. They often experience depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicide ideation, low self-esteem, and difficulty trusting others. I can definitely see that. Subtle psychological abuse is more harmful than either overt psychological abuse or direct aggression. Again, like I said, it reminds me of the dog training reference because that's not overt, overt. That's that's a repeated um, incentivized type of um, training. You know what I'm saying? Like, do what I want you to do and I'll treat you how you want to be treated. Like, that's, oh, God, I hate that. Anyway, so um, some statistics here. 48.4% of women and 48.8% of men have experienced at least one psychologically aggressive behavior by intimate partner. I can say that I've and man, the one that I have seen has been that I've experienced myself. Um, cause I mean, you know, when you younger, I mean, I think about my teen relationships and I'm kind of like, eh, maybe like early college is when I started kind of seeing behaviors that you kind of thought were normal but then when you get older you realize that shit wasn't normal i was very fortunate not to experience it on a regular basis but just enough to peep game on the bullshit and be like okay i i i've got put through the ringer on this shit but i'm not finna um i'm not finna 
put up with this shit for the sake of love. I can't be patient with a motherfucker that's, that's moving like this. I got to bounce. So, um, yeah. But in, in the ones that I noticed were convincing the victim that he or she is crazy. Um, let's see what else. Undermining the victim's confidence or sense of self-worth. But I had a really big ass ego. So that was kind of hard. I was like, I think <laughs> he was like, Bitch, don't nobody want you. I was like, nigga, please. Like, if you see me, <laughs> who the fuck you think you're talking to? So, I mean, that was that was what I did. See, he tried, but he failed. Um, but I also seen one that was about um trying to like shame, humiliate. I've seen, you know, that before. But he was trying to do that like on the slip behind my back. I was kind of like, bro, like, I could really post the receipts and you could really get you to fuck up out of here. But um, he kind of he he cleared that up before everything got out of hand. And um Withholding information, I've seen that. I've also seen withholding uh, resources or money and other basic resources. I've seen that as well. So it's, it's some things that you that you see in a, in a person and you're like, damn, bro. Like, they probably don't even realize it or maybe they do. But once you realize it, it's like, oh, no, I can't build long term with you. I can probably kick it with you until I, I get up out of here. But in terms of staying with this long term, I may not. And then some people are actually in there long term until they can't realize it. So, or until they actually realize it and they feel like they can't leave. Sometimes it's it's children involved and, and, and there's paperwork, marriage and things that are your businesses. So, you know, it's just really interesting um, how some of these behaviors that we weren't really presented to as domestic violence or intimate partner violence, they are now considered like domestic violence. Let's see what else we have here. Some other facts before we get to the next segment. Ooh, let me see how long I've been talking. Oh, it's going to be a long episode. Well, it is what it is. So the effects of psychological abuse. 7 out of 10 psychologically abused women display symptoms of PTSD and or depression. I've, I can see that manifesting into a major depressive disorder. I've seen that happen before. Uh, women experiencing psychological abuse are significantly more likely to report poor physical and mental health and have more than five physician visits in the past year. I can understand that because when somebody got you psychologically uh, damaged or or harmed, you're not going to be as inclined to eat right. You're not going to be as inclined to go work out. You're not going to be as inclined to clean your house. You're just going to be... I've seen situations where people have been in a in a standstill. They've been in a rut. Meanwhile, people are calling them stagnant and lazy the whole nine, not even realizing they're in a major depressive episode because of the partner that's abusing them. So I can actually, I can, I can, I can agree with that. I can see that. Uh, psychological abuse is a stronger predictor of PTSD than physical abuse among women. I can also see that because psychological abuse, that takes a trust to be had and then to be fucked over for that to happen. Imagine you love somebody, you trust somebody, you, you think that they're not going to hurt you and then they fuck around and hurt you. But you still love them. A part of you is surprised, but they keep doing it. But you feel like, damn, well, maybe I'll work through them. I try to see the good in them. And then you realize, like, damn, this is just really how they operate. And then it puts you at a crossroads because you're like, damn, like, what you might have presented and what you present to the public ain't really who you are behind closed doors. But again, we're going to get to that in the next segment because we talk about how abusers be out here faking the motherfucking funk out here uh, fronting and shit like they good people and they really aren't. But these questions I thought were interesting. The questions say, um, or they're an assessment as to whether you're being psychologically abused. So it says, does your partner threaten to harm you, your children, your family, and or your pets? They tell you you're worthless and that no one will ever love you. They isolate you from your family or friends, control your behavior, and monitor your movements and whereabouts. Tell you that you're crazy, demean you in public or in private, constantly criticize you, 
Do they blame you for everything that goes wrong? Do they stalk you? Do they cause you to feel guilt over things that are not your fault? And do they threaten to take away your children? So that's just something to think about. So, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, now physical abuse had a slightly defi a different definition than the CDC's, and I want to read that um, with you all or to you all. Physical abuse includes the physical assault, battery, and sexual assault used as part of a systematic pattern of power and control per uh, perpetrated by one intimate partner against another. Physical abuse can cause severe injury and even death. It often co-occurs with other forms of abuse, including psychological abuse, economic abuse, and stalking. Again, going back to the abuse of uh, resources or messing up the partner's ability to go make a living for themselves because they're dealing with the effects of abuse, whether it's mental or, or physical or emotional. Also, um, stalking. Um, we have done a lot of intimate partner physical abuse. Um, one thing I thought was interesting um, was that more than 75% of women aged 18 to 49 who were abused were previously abused by the same perpetrator. And also domestic violence is most common among women aged 18 to 24 and 25 to 34. And a majority of physical abuse is committed by dating partners rather than spouses. Also says intimate partner physical abuse is not bound by age, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, or nationality. It exists in all community. This is not usually typically uh, an isolated incident. Physical abuse is a tool of control and oppression isn't a choice. It's a choice made by one person in a relationship to control another. I like the fact that they say it's a choice. Everything we do in this life is a choice. So it is, I like the fact that even though the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence um, said, you know, it's not typically an isolated incident, which kind of contradicts what the CDC said about saying that it could be an isolated incident just one time or it could span a number of years. I do like the fact that they said that shit is a choice to abuse. The person that is making the bad decisions chooses to do that in order to um, enforce some type of will or power over um, someone else. So I really like their, uh, their definitions. Let's see. Is there anything else here about? No. Okay. All right. Some other, um, some other information about men. Cause I think people act like being can be domestically abused too. And I've definitely seen a couple of dudes get socked by they, by they, uh, they, they partners, they women partners. Um, and, and their male partners too. I've seen it. I've seen it on either side of the spectrum. I've seen it happen, um, with women on either side too. So this isn't a straight problem. It's not a gay problem. It's not a black problem, a brown problem, Asian, white, uh, problem. It's, it's none of those Indian problem. It's, it's none of those. It's a, it's a problem period. Every community, every ethnicity, every nationality, every religion, everybody got somebody that's out here fucking up like that, which is not cool. But um, I just don't want people to feel like that, you know, it's a it's a particular community problem because it's not. But there are also some men um, who also are abused, too. And man, one out of four men have been physically abused, slapped, punched, shoved by an intimate partner. Again, like I said, I've seen a couple of dudes get hit in their face by their girlfriends and they can't hit her back. So they start getting uh, beat up. I've seen that before. One in seven men have been severely physically abused, hit with a fist, a hard object, kicked, slammed against something, choked, burned by an intimate partner at some point in their lifetime. I've seen that before. A dude almost got hit by a car by his girl. He jumped out the way. Um, I've also seen 
a guy. Uh, anyway, I don't want to traumatize nobody. Anyway, let me not. Nearly one in 10 men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner and reported at least one measured impact relating to the experience, these, and other forms of violent behavior in their relationship, being fearful, concerning for safety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, need for health care, injury, or they contact a crisis hotline, or they need housing services, or victims advocate services, legal services, or they may have missed one day of work in school. One in 18 men are severely injured by intimate partners in their lifetimes. Male rape victims and male victims of non-contact unwanted sexual experiences reported predominantly male perpetrators. And I'm not, I'm not saying that for y'all to say, oh, it's the LGBTQ problem when it comes to men, because it's not. It's just saying that that's for that particular situation. That's how it goes. Again, um, nearly half of stalking victimizations against male were also perpetrated by males. But remember, that's nearly half. So the other half is probably by either women or people that don't identify. So I just, again, say these stats to also say, like, please do your best to refrain from generalizing this issue because it's it's a it's a widespread problem. Um, perpetrators of other forms of violence against males are mostly females. So um, let's see. Forty eight point eight percent of men have experienced at least one psychologically aggressive behavior, like being kept tracked of by like demanding to know his whereabouts or insulted or humiliated or felt threatened by partner's actions by an intimate partner in their lifetime. Or, 4 in 10 men have experienced at least one form of coercing control. So basically, like we mentioned before, um, their partner trying to isolate them from family or friends, manipulation, blackmail, deprivation of liberty, threats, economic control, exploitation by an intimate partner in their lifetime. 4 out of 10, I was a tiny bit surprised, but... The more I kind of sit with this info, the more I think, no, that's not surprising at all. Because like I said, when you have something as simple as trying to dictate who people talk to against the other person's will, that's already a form of coercive behavior. So, um, yeah, it's just been kind of interesting. I've been, I've been sitting with this stuff a lot um, since I had it. So it's just, man, man, this is, whew, it's a lot. Okay, so that is the statistics. And we got the signs and the signs that we need to look for when it comes to abusers. First off is don't look for a particular type of abuser. I think everybody saw what's love got to do with it and automatically assumed that he was going to be an Ike Turner type dude. The way they portrayed him on the movie was on drugs, controlling, loud, rambunctious. Um, I think people kind of, kind of think that they can spot an abuser. And unfortunately you can't, it's not some it's not a t- it's not the typical stuff you see like on TV. A lot of abusers come off like they cool people and they really got some shit underneath all of that charm that they present to you. Ninety um, percent of abusers, according again to the National uh, Coalition Against Domestic Violence, ninety percent of abusers don't even have criminal records. And abusers are generally law abiding outside the home, so they know they can sit there and fuck up at home, or they gonna try to fuck up at home, but they wouldn't dare do that shit outside. Because they fucking know better. Which is unfortunate. Because again, to abuse someone is a choice. So they choose to sit there and show somebody a different side to create this false ass narrative that they could people and then choose to contradict that knowingly in their own household. Now even though there ain't like a particular personality type, there are some traits to look for. So, 
So Trace to look for an abuser. An abuser often denies the existence or minimizes the seriousness of the violence and its effect on the victims and other family members. So here's a prime example. If you're crying your eyes out and you're saying, you hurt me. I can't believe you would do that to me. You hurt my feelings. I, I felt disrespected. I felt devalued. And they try to laugh it off or you're so sensitive. You're sensitive. No, bitch, I'm hurt. <laughs> like the fuck is wrong with you? That's one way to, to tell that somebody may have an abusive personality. Also, they objectify the victim and see them as their property or sexual objects. I mean, that's self-explanatory. An abuser has low self-esteem and feels powerless and ineffective in the world. They may appear successful, but they may feel inadequate. And that's why they always want to jump on you. And when I say jump on you, it could be either physically or it can be emotionally. However it is. They don't have no power in no other place. So they get it from you because that's the only time they feel like they got some shit going for them. It's unfortunate. It's fucked up, again, because it's a choice. An abuser externalizes the causes of their behavior. They blame their violence on circumstances like stress, or they try to flip it on you like as if it's your fault, which is even worse. Because, I mean, you make me do that. Like, no, bitch, like, you made yourself do that. You chose to do that. Don't blame it on somebody else. Or they say, oh, I was having a bad day. Or, or they say, oh, I was faded, I was high, I was drunk, whatever. Now, this is the most dangerous trait, in my opinion. An abuser may be pleasant and charming between periods of violence and is often seen as a nice person to others outside the relationship. The reason why I think it's dangerous to me is because when you're isolated from your family and friends and they present themselves to be a saint to everybody else, if you go outside of what they told you not to do when you start talking to folks, they might question you or they may find it hard to believe. And abusers do that shit on fucking purpose. I really believe that. I, I'm, the, the stats didn't say that, but I really think they do that on purpose because they know that anything that goes against them, they're going to try to find their way to wiggle, wiggle out of that. They don't want nobody to know they treat their partner like shit. Because it ruins their reputation. That's why they don't want nobody selling nothing to nobody. They don't want to be looked at as who they really are. They'll be cool for a couple of weeks. That little cycle of, of honeymoon phase and then you fight and you're fighting like cats and dogs. Honeymoon phase again, fighting like cats and dogs. May take a vacation May get some gifts, fight like cats and dogs again. Next thing you know, it's been four, five years. And you realizing, damn, like this is the same shit over and over. They know what they do. They know. Okay, well, uh, they might they might leave. Let me let me tighten up a little bit. And I'm not saying that for every single abuser, because I don't know every single abuser, but every single situation I've seen this happen in, it's always been like that. They know they finna get left, or they know that something is finna change. So to avoid that and to cover their ass to keep you around, they switch up. Have you second guessing your whole instincts the whole night? Like, damn, well, they, they doing so good. Maybe I should just stick with them. Next thing you know, they're back to their bullshit. Control, manipulation, power. Now, there's a list I saw here on the, uh, on the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website. What are the warning signs of an abuser? Red flags and warning signs of an abuser include, but are not limited to, Extreme jealousy, possessiveness, unpredictability, a bad temper, cruelty to animals, verbal abuse, extremely controlling behavior, antiquated beliefs about roles of women and men in relationships. Oh my God. That one. Antiquated beliefs about roles of women and men in relationships. I'm going to give y'all one good example of this. And this person might be listening. And I don't give a fuck. Because it's a red flag to me regardless. So there was a gentleman that was trying to get my attention. And he was cool. 
And I was, you know, having conversations, like, you know, just getting to know this person. And this person would tell me stories that would demean women in a negative light. I'm like, sir, you do understand I'm a woman, right? So you talking shit about women. Not only it does it not do shit for me, it makes you look very, very suspect. Because you, there's no way you could disrespect women as a whole to me and think that I'm just going to sit there and let that ride. And you're not going to do that thinking that we're going to date. Because no telling how you view me. He told a story about how he intentionally manipulated a woman to show. Let me, what was it exactly? He said, this is the story that he told me. And again, we keeping it extra real in this bitch. And I'm sorry in advance. I apologize in advance if I trigger anybody. But I'm saying this so that people understand and are aware to peep through the bullshit the next time somebody try to come and present themselves as non-abusive and they really may got some bullshit about them. But this person told me a story about how this woman or this, this younger woman was not quite well aware of her worth. And we've all been there to where we may not have understood our value at some point. We may have been taken advantage of because of that. He gonna sit there and tell me on the phone how he played the girl. He slept with the girl. The whole nine, the girl likes him, obviously. She's thinking that they building something. He tells her, I don't really want to be with you like that. I just want to show you that you need to do better with your value. You got to hold yourself on a better pedestal. And I'm like, like, you you would do that? You would purposely see a, a young woman who doesn't quite see her value. You would take advantage of her, sleep with her, do whatever you want to do with her. And then just toss her off to the side so you can just, so you can lecture her after and tell her, well, you know, I had to show you your worth. That's prime abuser behavior, power. You see something that she don't see. You take advantage of that. Even though she was consenting with the sexual activity, you still did it knowing that she didn't know any better in terms of her worth. She liked you. And then you're going to purposely keep messing with her knowing you don't have a, uh, you don't see a future with her. She's seeing something different. And then you tell her, well, you know, I really didn't want to be with you like that. I just wanted to show you your worth. Her feelings is hurt and shit. That's trifling. That's so fucking trifling. I was like, wow. You was a hoe. That's a hoe. That's hoe behavior. When I say hoe, I don't mean like sex worker hoe. Like people try to say these days. I just, what I mean by hoe behavior, it's cowardly. And it's gender neutral too. Hoe is gender neutral. That's cowardly ass behavior. That's bitch ass behavior. Again, gender neutral. Like, who, why would you self-appoint yourself to be in a position of power to take advantage of that young girl like that? That wasn't cool. And I knew that from that conversation, I said, oh, this shit about to drop the fuck off. I ain't called that motherfucker since. And I'm, and I'm if he's listening, that is exactly why. Next. Sabotage or birth control methods or refusal to honor agreed upon methods. Uh, that includes ejaculating and not telling the person. That includes trying to uh, ride somebody until they come on purpose, knowing they don't, or trying not to let them pull out. That's that's some warning signs. Uh, poking holes in condoms, flushing birth control pills down the toilet. Also, taking fertility drugs, knowing these people don't want kids, trying to get pregnant, knowing they don't want kids. That's warning signs. Because again, it's a it's a control thing. It's the, it's a power thing manipulating somebody on purpose that don't know they being manipulated to make them do what you want them to do to have a baby whether man or woman that's foul blaming the victim for anything bad that happens oh man you brought it on yourself that's the magic phrase for me 
they brought it on themselves or what did you do or you must have did something. Those phrases, oh man, those are the ones. I'm not going to front. I love to hear it when I'm getting to know somebody because that lets me know I can't fuck with you when it comes to that. Like when it comes to you must have did something to be abused and you not even listening to the person who survived this story to even get context, it's automatically like a explaining, like a qualifier. Well, you must have did something. And that just lets me know, like, that's some bullshit. It's one thing if a woman is like, if she if she feels she's done something, then that's one thing. You can hear her out, and you still don't have to put your opinion on it because it ain't your business. It's not a situation. You wasn't there. But to just automatically dictate that somebody had to have done something, even if the man is like, yeah, I said something disrespectful, and she she did whatever. That's their that's their story. That's not for us to say you must have asked for it. You must have deserved it. You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of interesting how people kind of use people's truth to kind of justify the abuse and things of that nature. Or if it's somebody that's in a situation that is abusive, they try to blame the person that they're abusing for their choice to abuse them. That shit is stupid. Also, sabotage or obstructions of the victim's ability to work or attend school. If you know that somebody need a clear head to make money and to go to school and to study on their books, you constantly giving them grief and hell, that's abusive. This person got class and you telling them, um, some, some bullshit and they're saying, Hey, I got to go to work. I got to get this money. I'm in a meeting and you're still exercising your will and control over the conversation to interrupt what they're doing. That's abusive as fuck. Controls all the finances. We already know how that goes down. So that means you got to constantly ask them for money and they hold the purse strings. And whenever they want to tighten them on your ass, they just tell you no, which is not cool either. Um, let's see what's some other signs here. This episode is going to be long. Oh, my goodness. Also, here's another one. Accusations of the victim flirting with others or having an affair. Control of what the victim wears, how they act, demeaning the victim, either privately or publicly. Um, embarrassment or humiliation of the victim in front of others. And again, harassment of the victim at work. That includes calling on some bullshit and constantly trying to argue with them at work. Bring Coming up to their job, starting shit at their job. Um, yeah, so... That is signs of abuse. All right. Go ahead and get you some more water. We're going to finish up this last bit and uh, we're going to wrap it up. All right. So this one is dynamics of abuse. And I'm going to go over this one fairly quickly because there's a wheel that I'm going to link in the show notes that I would like for you to, to see and follow along with. But um, this is the one going back to what I said about, oh, you must have did something. People say you must have did something to try to qualify whether people deserved abuse. So victims of domestic violence do not bring violence upon themselves. Even if they say they did, they don't. They do not always lack self-confidence, nor are they just as abusive as the abuser. Sometimes when people are still being psychologically abused, they'll try to equate themselves to be just as bad as the abuser. Well, I did some things too. He did some things too. And, um, and again, I'm, I'm learning um, the more I get into my studies in, in counseling and coaching and things of that nature with clients. J- don't agree like I, I personally can't agree with with that. I just hear him out because um, I really believe in my heart of hearts that people don't they don't deserve to be abused. 
So it's hard for me to agree with somebody that may be been abused and been like, yeah, I, well, I did hit him once and he hit me back. And then, you know, so like, I just, I get, I get it, but it's like, I just, I just can't agree. Cause I don't think that's fair. I don't, nobody deserves to be abused. They don't like, I just don't anyway, but um, and also it says violence in relationships occur when one person feels entitled and control, uh, entitled to power and control over their partner and chooses to use abuse to gain and maintain their control. We discussed that now in relationships where domestic violence exists, violence is not equal. That is one reason why I, it's, it's hard for me to agree with somebody that says that, um, even if the victim fights back or instigates violence in the effort to defuse the situation, there's always one person that's the primary source of power, control, and abuse in a relationship. That's the prime example right there. Because that's a reaction to something that is unsatisfactory behavior and treatment. At some point, people are going to be tired of being treated like that. So, again, like for me, it's, it's just always been difficult. Because um, sometimes people will nod and be like, yeah, right? Like, you know, well, I hit him, you know, so I mean, right? And it's like... I. <laughs> I can't agree with that. Like you, that was a reaction. Like that person been had control. You just reacted. You got tired. So, so yes, dynamics of abuse. Also, um, let's see. Physical and sexual assault or threats to commit them are the most apparent forms of domestic violence and are usually the actions that make others aware of the problem. So once there's a, 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 a real threat, like physical threat, like, Hey, I'm going to come to your house and do X, Y, Z or whatever. That's when people are like, Oh, okay. I got to tell somebody. Um, however, regular behaviors, uh, abusive behaviors by the abuser also make up a larger scope of abuse. Although physical attacks may occur only occasionally, they still instill the few, the fear of future attacks and allow the abuser to control the victim's life and circumstances. That makes complete sense. If it can happen once, people are going to think it can happen again. So they're going to try to adjust or and move a certain way to avoid that from happening. I understand that completely. Um, let's see. I really want to get into this wheel. Where's that wheel? So there's a wheel I want to link you to that's done by the Duluth model. And it's a cyclic wheel, which means it goes in a circle. And it talks about the violence and how it can be physical or sexual, but it's also um, rooted in power and control. So again, cyclic, circle, circular um, behaviors, patterns include using economic abuse, making her get an allowance or him get an allowance, taking their money, not letting them know or have access to family income, using coercion and threats, making and carrying out threats to do something, threatening to leave, threatening to commit uh, to die by suicide, Threatening to report her to welfare, him to welfare if they got kids, trying to force them to drop charges if there was charges, or making them do illegal things so that they don't go to the police on um, on them. Using intimidations, making her uh, or him afraid by using looks, actions, and gestures, smashing things, destroying their property, abusing pets, and brandishing or displaying weapons. Using emotional abuse, um, we discussed that. Again, the mind games, making people think they're crazy, calling names, humiliating them, making them feel guilty, trying to shame them. Isolation, controlling what they do, who they see and talk to, what they read, where they go, limiting outside involvement, and using jealousy to justify their actions. Minimizing, denying, and blaming, so making light of abuse, not taking the concerns seriously, saying the abuse didn't happen, shifting responsibility for the abusive behavior, or saying that that person caused it. Using children if someone has children, 
making them feel guilty about children, using the children to relay messages, using visitations to harass them and threatening to take the children away. Also, using male privilege was on this, this will. Um, treating the abused like a servant, making all of the big decisions, acting like the master of the castle, and being the one to define the roles in the relationship. So um, that is the, um, the, uh, the, the pattern of abuse, the will. I think it's a great will. Um, again, made by the Duluth model. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Also, um, let's see. Every relationship is different, y'all. It's not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be the same type of pattern. Um, and again, abusers use numerous tactics and numerous forms of abuse to instill fear in the victim and maintain that power and control over them. And again, sometimes it happens once. Sometimes it happens sporadically over a long period of time. Sometimes it happens consistently over a long period of time. It just, it varies. And again, it's not exclusive to any type of, um, community. Um, so let's see what else here. The effects of domestic violence include, and this is a list that I'm going to read all the way through feeling depressed, feeling helpless, being aware, unaware of what services are available to help being embarrassed of the situation, fear of judgment and stigmatization if they reveal the abuse, denying or minimizing the abuse and making excuses for the abuser. They still love their abuser or they withdraw emotionally from everyone else. They distance themselves from family or friends, be impulsive or aggressive. They feel financially dependent on their abuser, have guilt related to the relationship, feel shame, have anxiety, have suicidal thoughts, abuse alcohol or drugs, be hopeful that their abuser will change and or stop the abuse, have religious, cultural, or other beliefs that reinforce staying in the relationship, have no support from friends or family, fear cultural, community, or societal backlash that may hinder escape or support, feel like they have nowhere to go or no ability to get away, fear they will not be able to support themselves after they escape the abuser, have children in common with their abuser, or fear for their safety if the victim leaves, has pets or animals they don't want to leave, or be distrustful of local law enforcement, courts, or other systems if the abuse is revealed, and have had unsupportive experiences with family, friends, employers, law enforcement, courts, child protective services, and believe that they will not get help if they leave. For fear of retribution, if they do, you know, there may be some type of retaliatory action, like, you know, losing custody of their children to the abuser. So let's see. Why do victims stay? And this is where the spiritual community um, be fucking up, in my opinion. The spiritual community has gotten so fucking lazy. And when I say the spiritual community, I mean myself included. Everybody's included in this bitch. Everybody. But the spiritual community has gotten so lazy because they think the law of attraction is the end all be all to this shit. It's not. No, that's not how this shit works. It's super general. A lot of these laws make sense. On a general scale, I'm not going to let, if I'm abused, I'm not letting no motherfucking person who claims to be spiritual tell me that I, I somehow attracted this bullshit because I've seen it happen a lot and I've seen it happen a lot on Twitter. I've seen people get on that fucking high horse and they tweet that shit and people co-sign it because they don't fucking know no better. How can someone that don't know in individual circumstances or know anything about these people feel so entitled and so um, confident to just say that every single case of abuse has to be because of some past life bullshit 
or some law of attraction bullshit. And that's the fucking problem with law of attraction now if we're going to keep it a thousand. Everybody using law of attraction for everything but collective progress. We can talk about manifesting a fucking house, a man, a car, money. We can talk about manifesting abuse somehow, but we don't talk about manifesting from a collective standpoint, which I've always thought was a big, big, big problem with the secret in law of attraction because everybody done used it for the motherfucking me and not the we. So it really grinds my gears to see these motherfuckers that claim that they super evolved. You can't be no motherfucking healer telling me that I somehow caused my abuse. You got me fucked up. You can't sit there and claim to be a healer, a spiritualist, or whatever the fuck you want to do in this community. You cannot say that you're a person that works as a light worker, whatever the fuck. You can't say that and then sit there and blame somebody you don't know for their abuse. You cannot victim blame and claim that you're, you're helping. Victim blaming don't work. Tell somebody that they attracted that shit to them don't work. Yeah, we might choose wrong partners, but that's nothing to shame nobody for. Everybody done kissed a frog plenty of times in this bitch. And them frogs didn't turn to princes. They stayed little slimy, stank-ass frogs. Who the fuck are we to sit there and tell another person who's coming to us for guidance that they somehow attracted and deserved abuse? And to be honest with you, that's what had me on Audrey Kitchen ass last year, a year and a half ago. That shit is what made me do that episode on spiritual leaders. And when I seen that article and I started talking to them folks personally that she abused and that bitch sat there and said that, yeah, I said it. She a bitch. I said that. I said it last last year, too. But those are the kind of people I have problems with. She sat there and told these people, again, power and control. She said that to wield power over them, she used their secrets and their truth against them, saying that they somehow were fulfilling a past life prophecy to be a servant in this life and to endure abuse in this life so they could learn a lesson they didn't learn from their past life. Y'all got, man, these bitches got the game. Fucked up. Bitches being gender neutral. Run, tell that to whoever the fuck you want to tell to. That's a fucking lie. Law of attraction, nobody deserves to be abused. People sit there and watch The Secret and 50 million YouTube videos think they go tell somebody what the fuck going on with abuse. It's out of line. And the reason why I'm doing this episode again, and there's many reasons why I'm doing it, but one good reason, one real good strong reason that got me up here at 3.30 in the fucking morning on Homegirl Thursday talking about this shit is because I really do not like to see people that are supposed to be Helping is supposed to be a light for others. Sit there and make somebody feel like they're the cause of their own fucking darkness. When that darkness was handed to them by somebody else. I hate that. And I want y'all to peep fucking game. Because a lot of this shit out here in these spiritual streets do be game. And I don't mean game to help you. I mean running game. Chest moving paws around on the board kind of game. And that's not a game you want to be a part of. I really want people with spiritual homegirls to understand. You get the real when you talk to me. We're going to put you on game. A lot of shit that's cool ain't really cool out here. It's only cool because a lot of people co-sign it. And that's some bullshit. If I got to be the only person that goes against the grain with law of attraction, then so be it. But I think that's some motherfucking bullshit. When I hear somebody tell me that, that lets me know they ass don't read a goddamn thing when it comes to the topics they talk about. They want to sit there and just put it on a cliche law of attraction. Like the fuck? You ain't that five years. You goddamn. Like you got to, if you want to master some shit, bitch, you got to master all levels of this shit. I don't even believe in those kind of dimensions like that. But man, 
We can't be so 5D to where we just forget the 3D shit that's here. Like, come on, nah. The spiritual community has to do better. And I'm never above my own advice. That's why I'm saying collectively, we, I, whatever. Because we are really leading people astray and leading people down a dark path to tell someone again that they are the cause or they're fulfilling a prophecy of some kind of abuse. What the fuck? That's abusive in itself. And motherfuckers really believe it's bullshit. It's bullshit. And especially it'd be for a motherfucker who you don't even know. And you probably wouldn't know if you weren't giving them no motherfucking money for no product services or anything else. It's funny how this shit work. And when I say funny, I mean sad. Irony. It's irony. It's ironic as hell to have somebody who don't know you take your goddamn money and then tell your ass or take your goddamn time and attention and then want to tell you to goddamn refer back to the cabal, you know, the secret to let you know why the fuck you being abused by a motherfucker that chooses to be abusive. Y'all, man, get the fuck up out of here. Spiritual community got to tighten the fuck up. We ain't perfect, but goddamn, let's not goddamn be just willfully ignorant to the shit. It's okay to goddamn do some research on some shit before making a generalized statement about a group of people that may have individual, nuanced, um, individual circumstances. I'm going to be even more clear. Just because you was abused, because I know people like to use, like, I feel like when it comes to abuse, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, and I really, I promise y'all, I don't give a fuck. I really don't. When I hear people that have been abused still speak on strangers' abuse from their own lens, even though they don't know that person that they're trying to speak on so authoritatively with the audacity that they have. It's the equivalent of a non-black person talking shit about black people and then being like, well, I mean, I'm black at heart or I got black friends or I can talk. No, you can only talk from your own experience. Your story is your story. You still are not qualified to speak on someone else's abuse. How the fuck do I look speaking on my loved ones or people that I've seen be abused as if my opinion or my processing or my understanding of it is better than theirs. They was fucking in it. The fuck? That's just something to think on. So let's talk about some shit that these motherfucking law of attractions ass motherfuckers in this community don't want to talk about. And that's why victims stay. I done heard all sorts of bullshit excuses. Oh, well, I mean, you got to look within. You must, if you attracting fucked up people, you must be fucked up. No, bitch, they must be fucked up. And in they process of treat me fucked up, then it made me fucked up in the process. That's how that goes. That's how it goes sometimes. And I know that don't really fit the narrative of the YouTube shit that in the law of attraction shit, but that's really how it goes. Hurt people, hurt people. That's a cliche that could actually make some motherfucking sense. If a person is not being hurt, and they come across a hurt person and that hurt person starts projecting that kind of shit on them and they become hurt because there's now that's that's abuse and they're becoming abused. That makes more sense if you're going to goddamn use a cliche instead of you must have you must be fucked up to get this kind of treatment because you obviously attract what you project and there must have been something in you that attracted this shitty ass person like come, that's we get so generalized with this shit bro it's time to study some more before we goddamn speak on everybody else's life. Like, I'm just, I'm just not with it. And even if that's your experience, that still don't qualify you to speak on somebody else's experience. Like, you know this shit better than, than they do. Like, I'm just, that shit get me riled up because it's just like so many people need something to hold on to. And they come to so many people for help and they're getting some bullshit. That's bullshit. But 
let's talk about why victims stay. So the thing I like about how the domestic violence uh, coalition worded this particular sentence is because it addresses it in a way that we don't really see. We usually see, oh, well, if you're in a domestic violence situation, just leave, girl. Go get a gun and shoot his ass. Leave. Just leave. Ain't that fucking easy? Like, me personally, like, I haven't been in a situation like that. I didn't see it. Now, I ain't, I ain't gonna front. Now, they had me some, some toxic men in my day. You know what I'm saying? A little, little, little psychological behaviors here and there, little red flags here and there. But I, I've seen situations third hand. Um, and when I say third hand, I mean like I've witnessed it to someone that I was close to when they going through it. There is no go get a gun and shoot. It's not like that. So it's much, it's much more difficult. And the wording of this sentence is when it comes to leaving, when it is a viable option, it is best for victims to do what they can to escape their abusers. I'm going to read it again. When it is a viable option, it is best for victims to do what they can to escape their abusers. They're basically saying, hey, we understand there may not be a, a good time, quote unquote, good time to leave. But when you got that option, it is best to do what you can. However, this is not the case in all situations. They say abusers repeatedly go to extremes to prevent the victim from leaving. Again, hence the use of when it's viable. In fact, leaving an abuser is the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence. That's why I don't like the generalizations. Again, like I said, going back to our community, it is not that fucking easy to leave from somebody that might have done some very harmful, hurtful things to you and it has your life feel or has you feeling like valid, no validly feeling like your life is in danger. It's easy for another person from the comfort of their phone, from the comfort of their computer to tell somebody they don't know what to do. Not knowing that it's really life or death for that person that they think they're advising. It's dangerous. Cliche advice don't work for shit like this. Shit is real, real. Like you might need a, a qualified professional in this type of situation, type real. Not no motherfucker on the internet trying to tell you, just leave, girl. <laughs> Get your power back. No. It's not that easy when it comes to extreme and severe domestic violence. Shit, all that, get your power back. That's after you can find out if it's a viable option to leave without being in a situation that harms your safety or your children's safety and things like that. People stay with folks that abuse them for so many complex reasons. That's why I say all these situations may have commonalities, but they're not the exact same. That's why I really despise the generalization of the solution for it from our perspective as spiritual people in the community and just um, and just societal reactions. Like I seen this one person um, was being abused by her ex and he was terrorizing her. Literally, she was posting everything on Twitter, not because she wanted to tell their business, but in case something happened to her, it was a record of who the fuck did it. The fucking comments was trash. A lot of them, leave, sis. Just leave, sis. Bitch, how? If this man knows where she lives and she don't feel safe and he's watching her house and he's, he's FaceTiming and doing all this disrespectful stuff, how is she going to leave? Y'all asses ain't there. It's easy to sit there and say from the comfort of somewhere else what somebody else should be doing. If it ain't saying to mind your business, then you really can't give no advice on no real shit if you don't know them. <laughs> 
The best you can do is say, if you're trying to give anybody advice, and I'm talking about this outside of abuse, if you're in a comfortable situation and you're good, you really can't give no advice about somebody that's going through it like that. Because you're not in it. You don't understand the severity. Even if you do, it's still going to be from your own lens. You still don't know the severity. Because again, it's still complex. It's still very case by case. Everybody got a different circumstance. Sometimes people don't want to leave because they didn't see the potential of how things can get. And they don't want to put that on their children or on pets or on their family members or none of that. You don't know how people are going to act. Also, let's see what my notes say here. It may be a situation where they feel powerless because they feel like if they leave, they may put people that they love at risk for retaliation and retribution. It gets very, very multi-layered after a certain point because 20% of homicide victims because of intimate partner violence were not the victims themselves. It was family members or people that intervened or neighbors or friends or law enforcement responders or bystanders. Also, other reasons why victims stay is because they don't have people that support them. They don't have nowhere to go. There's not a safety plan in place. Or they're scared that if they do leave and get caught, the violence is going to get worse. Or they just try to rationalize it and say, look, we're just going through a rough time right now. That's all. It's good when it's good, but when it's bad, it's terrible. That's a way of, that's a way of, of um, rationalizing it. Or they may not even know where they can go. Or where they can get support because of the fact that they may be manipulated in such a way they may not be able to access internet or be able to talk to folks to figure out what they can do. Or they may not even have access to their phone, period, to call nobody. Or access to a car. Or shoot. Probably like 450 crystals. This one has 450 crystals. Oh, that's the one. That's not all of the crystals. Right. That's like a quarter. It's like a <laughs> like, sliver. Right. Like but that book has some real ones on. Put a piece of pie out. This is a piece of the pie. Like literally this is a piece of the pie. So get this multiple is, books, y'all. If y'all really want to study, get multiple ones. This one has two hundred in it. You know what I mean? Right. And this is way bigger and it's only four fifty. So just imagine like you know there's another one too but I didn't bring it and it's the the book of stones. It's not by Judy Hall, but it's a really good one, too, and it has a lot of different unique ones. I like to buy the ones because this has crystals in it that this one doesn't have, right. even though they still have the same crystals. This one may talk about agate, but this one may have agate in it that's different from the agate that this one has in it. Right. You know? So, and then it just reminded me, as we were talking about that, um, that opal. That's where I wanted to go. Don't buy no man-made opal. <laughs> them little eggs. I seen them little eggs that be translucent and all that other stuff. I was like, uh-uh. No, okay, you're talking about opalite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Opalite. I didn't feel good about opalite, though. I can't even front. I was, I was like, nah. It's, it's not one of my favorites. Uh, it's kind of hard to get away from. I don't, uh, I don't know where it came from, honestly. Me neither. It's it's just a um what was that? Oh, nails is breaking. But regular opal, like um I have black opal, which is really awesome because it's like black, but it has like the rainbow in it that you can see. And then there is 
just the Australian opal, which is really nice. And there's the Willow opals, those are nice. Mexican opals, but you can get opals for, you know, a nice price. And a real opal, not like the opalite. I don't, I don't condone opalite. Let me just say that. <laughs> It don't resonate for me either. Some people swear by it and they love it, but I was just like, mm, I don't, I'll, I'll give it away. And I give it away and they love it. And I'm just like, well, I'm glad you like it because I know there's some stones that don't work for me where I'm like, uh-uh. So, but again, it's just, I, I couldn't verify it. It's, it's, I, I'm trying to look and see if there's even a book here. There's even one here. Oh, another reason why I really like um, this book, by the way, too, is for uh, people who are beginners. It does have a little diagram in the back, like with the body, on uh, what crystals are good for certain parts of the body. In addition to it having a, um, like a, a little cheat sheet kind of for certain elixirs and things that you can kind of help with if you're a beginner and you want to start doing stuff like that because you don't want to try to make elixirs out of crystals that don't make elixirs not with the direct method you know what i mean because everything is like she said is not meant to be in water so you don't want to drop side of night in some water thinking you're making an elixir and then you turn around and the crystal is gone and then you're drinking that glass of water that's not a good thing because you don't want to drink side of night out of uh, dissolved in water it's not good for you it's bad for your body you know what i mean so and things like tiger's eye they're a high source of um like um, copper and things like that maybe it so you may not want to drop that directly in water either you know um pyrite eggs in your vagina certain eggs don't go up there true very true so the representation of the egg is good for you to use it if you want to use it for a yoni but this one is more for the it's grounding right it's shaped like an egg what's down there but you know if it if you were birthing eggs it would be this so it's a grounding egg in that concept and so i keep it in my house to like ground the, the feminine energy of the house in a way so I just like this. I keep this on my altar, usually. This little egg right here. Now, carnelian and obsidian, excellent for use if you want to go ahead and, and do kegels or, um, you know, because these are yoni eggs. This one has a little spot for a string in it for some people who need that extra protection mind you the string is not for removal the string is actually for exercise with the yoni egg got some information for the ladies who want to know a little bit more about you know yoni egg exercise and these are no they don't have any holes or anything in it so this means you're strictly working off of your muscles you know you put it in there you got to get it out that's not hard people think it is and it's like oh it's a little tiny egg it's gonna get stuck it's not it's not gonna get stuck nothing gets stuck in there really if you don't want it to it's all about body control right you know but 
this one. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking about some story. I'm sorry, I'm gonna wait till you finish. Go ahead. This one is the best for, like I said, past trauma. Like, if you've ever had any kind of, I relate Obsidian and Jadeite, the best ones for past trauma removal, where abuse and, and sexual trauma is concerned. You know what I mean? Like, um, something like this is more for you tapping into your creativity. You know what I mean? Tapping into your passion and your drive. This is more for something like that, your sensuality and, you know what I mean? Learning who you are, uh, your divine feminine, things like that. So, you know, there's always a good contrast. And this is a little bit narrower than this one, but these are both small eggs. You know, and then you have medium and then you have large. This is the medium. And then large is a lot larger. And with the Yoni practice, you can really put, even though we're not using this one for that, we're just going to do an example. You can put both of these in there. You know, because it would be a combination of what you need. And believe it or not, you can get one more in there too. You can put about three in there at any given time. And I don't know if any of the, the goddesses here have practiced, but it's amazing. Like, to just have that control over your body and to, you know, be able to push it in or pull it out or do whatever, you know, it's like, it's power, it's self-control when you have control over that small muscle because, man, we let our lower regions take over us a lot of times. Like, yeah. you know, the head is up here, but we let our lower regions just tell us, like, where are we going, how we doing it, who we doing it with, you know, so that's part of getting your power back to me is being able to control your muscles and just you know get your natural juices flowing i love running uh, exercises but tell me girl about that story i need to know okay so what happened was <laughs> many years ago i got this really dope picture jasper egg Okay. I was like, Check. hell yeah, I'm finna manifest careers, finna pop, finna yeah. be, I'm finna be out. So <laughs> I had it and it was in between the size of the little one, but a tiny bit bigger than the black one. Okay. So um, I was super excited. I cleaned it and everything. I said, oh, it's on, it's on. So I have it. I'm walking around with it. It ain't moving, you know. Hit a couple, you know, squeeze, 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 you feel me? I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I'm out here. I'm going to be out here all the way through. Invigorated. Right. Okay. So <laughs> it was time to take it out. Now, that's <laughs> where that mind piece came in. Okay. Because sometimes something that's instinctive, your mind can get caught up and it'll, and it'll take over. So the instinct, obviously, I can push, right? Yeah. But my mind was like, oh, shit, what if this gets stuck? So I had to push and kind of like, I had to like, I almost started to freak out. I said, ooh, because it was, it was gone. You heard me? Like, it wasn't nothing I can just. You couldn't feel it. It was gone. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to, let me just calm down. Now I'm going to stay. Now I'm going to stay. I grabbed the <laughs> quartz. I laid down. And I said, nope, that's not instinctive either. And I had to, oh, I'm going to TMI, whatever, we here, whatever. 
I squatted because I squatted it up. Yeah, of course. It came out like natural birthing position. I said, cool. But then going back to childbirth, what I what I was learning as I got older after that experience is that technically a squatting childbirth is actually could be more uh beneficial than a lay down birth. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, instinctiveness. Yeah. Okay. Then my homegirl was like, oh, I want one, I want one. I said, hey, when it's time to come out, you make sure you don't trip and don't freak out. Homegirl called me and was like, this shit is stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, <laughs> So I noticed everybody has that experience that first yeah. time. Like, oh shit, this mother might get stuck. So I'm telling y'all, roll with your instincts. Do not freak out. Because if you freak out, you're going to clinch up. Yeah. You're going to be as relaxed to, to push that thing Work out. To come out. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, and don't strain too hard. Just naturally just glide it on and it'll, it'll, it'll pop out. So that was, that was my, that was my True. Time. Very true. And sometimes, you know, you just got to be careful. Uh, because sometimes when you're too relaxed in the wrong time to come out and you don't want it to. So. I don't know about that one because you ain't never had no issues no. with me coming out. I'm just joking. <laughs> I know when you have children, though, they may have that problem, though, because from what I understand, when you have children, you have to re, like, re, uh, not rebuild, but re-strengthen that entire wall. Your wall. Yeah. yeah. So, Which is what the, the eggs are good for. You know, they're really good for that after you, not just to 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 keep it that way but after you've had you know a child or something has happened it's good because you know they swear by that um that g-spot surgery but no that is trauma it's trauma to your to your internal you know what i mean so like they're lasering they're burning your walls on the inside could you imagine somebody like just burning the inside of you you know what i mean so that G-spot surgery is not all it's it's made out to be. You know what I mean? It's it's trauma to the inside. This right here, you want to build something back up. You worried about whatever just happened. These tools are for that. It's naturally weighted. Like this, this is heavy. This is not light. So it, just think like if you're using your arm to lift um, a weight, it's the same concept of you using your kegels to lift this weight up and down. And you feel like it may be sliding because it's too heavy, you suck it back up. You know what I mean? But this is what's going to bring it back to life, honestly. And not just that, but then it's providing the energy that you need. It's removing that trauma from, you know, the pushing, the pulling, whatever it is that was going on while you were giving birth. So I, I definitely say that, you know, women who have had kids definitely should have them some yummy eggs afterwards. Totally. I agree. Stretching the walls and the pelvic floor, damn it. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think, I, again, going back to what you were saying, the reason why we do crystal healing is because some methods are not, the Western eye methods may not be for us. And that kind of surgery, like you said, that's some Western shit. You feel me? Like, that's going against what some of us may know intuitively as, you know what I'm saying, as the, as the correct way. You know what I'm saying? Like, some people are just naturally connected to the earth and the cures of the earth. So something like a surgery, you know what I'm saying? That that's kind of uh it's invasive. It's entire, yeah, it's super invasive and it's also a, that's Western stuff. So I don't know, I just, I just think that's very interesting that you that you uh you brought that surgery up. Yeah, I I haven't liked it ever since um I heard about it, but I think recently some studies came out really showing that, you know, that it's not kosher for the the lower area that is not cool you know it's not a, as much as 
it may make the woman feel better about it for who? For somebody else? Because, I mean, ultimately, in the long run, it's like, why are you doing that surgery? Is, is it, do you feel insecure with what's going on down there? Or is it because you want it to be a certain way for somebody else? And if that's the case, then that somebody else can wait. And you can do something a little bit more natural. Crystals are nature's way of providing additional healing. I feel like the earth is always looking out for us. We have plants, we have crystals, you know, we have the sun when used correctly can, you know, provide us with all kinds of information. You know, the the moon, the seasons tell us, you know, when to grow, when to do certain things. And it's just that we've gotten so dependent on you know, of the methods that we don't listen to our bodies as much anymore. You know what I mean? We just want that instant, quick, let's get it now, fix, you know what I mean? Where you want to do something substantial, like investing in some crystals for yourself is definitely something substantial that'll last you, you know, for your life, for your health, for your family. Because I mean, like, I don't have um, any pink agate here, but pink agate, you know, looks very similar to this it has like the ring in it and everything but it's really good for like protecting your family you know your house and your relationships with your family so you know crystals are good for everything they're that therapy they're that healing they're just really whatever you need them to be and i don't know i think that um, it helps us be more in tune more present. I think crystals help us be more present, where other things kind of help you get that quick, let's move away. You know, this kind of helps you evaluate, be more present, focus on what's going on, really tap into yourself, which we should be doing checkups regularly anyway, right? Especially right now with the climate of the world. You should be tapping in, seeing if you're feeling overwhelmed or depressed or anxious or stressed, why you may be feeling that way, you know? because some of us are empaths, right? We're sensitive to certain energy. Something like this is gonna protect your energy from, you know, from absorbing other people's energies right now when some people are really angry and other, some people just don't understand, some people are sad, you know? If you ever feel like, oh my goodness, why do I feel all of those different energies and it's not mine, then a lot of times that's why, you know what I mean? So something like this, can even help you in that. Just protect your aura from things that are unnecessary, like too much Wi-Fi and other people's bad vibes, like if nothing else. You know what I mean? But these are my babies. <laughs> so if you don't mind going over the, the list that you have or the tray that you have in front so that people can be like, oh, wait, she brought that up. But what was the name of that? Can you go over all your crystals and just give us the, the, the name of them? Well, I've got a couple of crystals here. Um, let's see. We have pyrite right there, which is the gold. Really good for grounding, protection, wealth, abundance, things like that. Sorry. And we have the obsidian. Also good for protection, grounding, removing of, you know, past traumas. We got tiger's eye. Famous, uh, traditional you know, really good for beginner stone for grounding and protection. It's not super strong or pushy. And then let's see. Uh -oh. 
Oh, looks like fluorite wanted to talk. <laughs> and it's a rainbow fluorite, so it's pretty. And that one is really good for like your third eye, your throat chakra communication. Let's see. And then what else do we have? Did I do the kind night already? Which was this broomstick looking one? And that one is good for protection and grounding. A kinite is great for creativity if you're a creative person. There's also a blue version of kinite. Then we have lab stone, which is a, a mystical stone. I say it's a premier mystical stone. It's got that glow in it. This one is raw, but it's been shaped into like a contraban. So it's got that flat back on it. I'm gonna make a pendant out of it eventually, but the surface is raw, where usually they're really pretty polished. But um, this is like in the moonstone family, so it's got that balancing energy. It's got a calm aspect to it. Let's see, then it's Amazonite that just doesn't want to come out of my hand for whatever reason. Let's see, we got the smoky tip citrine or smoky quartz. Citrine and quartz, remember, and smoky quartz, they're all in the same families. Then I have the lepidite, which you guys didn't really see earlier today. And lepidite is just a really, it's a third eye, great for um, calm, serene spaces. One of my favorites. Amethyst, also this is, remember I said this is a spiritual kind of do-all stone. Great for a beginner as well. And um, I think anybody who just kind of wants to have a, a calm space or, um, you know, if you're a high-stressed person or you have a high-stressed job or, you know, you deal with like a lot of people First day, you might want to have this for like afterwards, just kind of like wind down. I mean, this is really good for that. And of course, we have the Hermaker and we have the Celestial Quartz. And these quartzes are definitely good for programming, whatever it is that you want to do. Hermaker is a little more high energy, great for dreams and, you know, manifesting things that you're dreaming about. And you have rose quartz here, really good for your heart. Love, you know, I say that even though a lot of people like rose quartz for um, relationship love, I think it's really good for self-love. Like rose quartz is a really good one for like loving yourself, where morganite is, you know, definitely relationship, family-oriented love. This is also a really nice love stone. Now, this one is raw, but the way you see Morganite mostly now is cut, gem, fancy, sold in Daniels, Mary Kay, all those places like that. You know, Robin's Brothers or whatever. I don't know. I can't even keep up with those jewelers anymore. <laughs> but it's usually cut and pretty and sparkly. So this is the raw version, which you don't really see that much. Not Morganite. And you can see that it's more peachy. And this one is more pinky. So they're not really the same, but they're both raw. This is more valuable than 
a rose quartz too, so which is why it's much smaller. You're gonna pay a little bit more, and that's another one that you're gonna pay a little bit more for than you would a regular stone. Be more organized. We have this amber here, which is a resin, not a crystal, but it's definitely uh, with the crystal family, you know, because minerals are with the crystal family. Like pyrite. Pyrite's not a crystal either, but it's a mineral, I think. It's a mineral, right? 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 So, you know, this is it. It's in the family. And again, like I said, it's just earth medicine. So we want anything that's valuable from the earth. We want to harness it if we can. So it was something that somebody realized had very good. And I had really wrote down the specifics on Amber other than the baby. It was something else. Oh, the key thing with the Amber too that I didn't know until I found out is that it's a, um, a chakra cleanser. I can see that. Amber is a chakra cleanser. And like I said, because we give it that that mineral, it's not really a crystal. It was like, well, who knew that it was really good for your chakras like that? But it, it's an all, overall chakra cleanser. Meaning that it, it'll absorb that negative energy and turn it into positive energy. Because overall, really, when you think about your chakras, you want to have a different crystal for each chakra. But with this, it could be for the overall chakra system. And then we have the carnelian agate, which is our solar, not our solar plexus. I'm thinking about these two already, which is our root, passion drive, creativity as well. And then solar plexus, of course. Which are these? These are your solar plexus, and that is where, like, your solar plexus. When you think about your solar plexus, you think about the sun. That's where your your beam, your ray, your optimism comes from. Is your solar plexus, and these crystals are good to help lift that optimism. That again, that prosperity of your your optimism, that prosperity of your mindset. Citrine is really good for that cleanser. And then calcite, really ancient stone. This is really good for a self-reflection. When you think about it, um, the Egyptians actually used to use these to make mirrors. They made mirrors of calcite. And um, it has like a, this one has a rainbow in it, but it has like a magnifying and a, a clearer ones, a, uh, it's like an effect kind of like that of a mirror. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's really interesting. But it's good for your bones, bone strength as well, physical strength. Again, solar plexus, optimism. And I have, this was all of them. I managed to put them all on the tray. I'm taking that little moment. That's pretty much it. And I have so many but these were just a few that spoke to me for today. You know, like I said, I just went and opened up my box of crystals and uh, started grabbing certain ones, thinking of, you know, what they were good for. And what's so funny is they're all interchangeable. Like most of them 
do all three things that you really, your basics, which is help you cleanse other crystals or help you have some kind of self-cleansing, cleansing of the throat chakra, the heart chakra, cleansing of other crystals, you know, protection, protecting you. So these are also really good multi-crystals. Smoke quartz is a good one for all three. Citrine, the carnelian, the amethyst. And if you're just starting with crystals, you know, citrine, amethyst, smoky quartz, rose quartz, clear quartz, tiger's eye, those are all really good basic ones to get started with. You know, you don't have to delve into the obsidians just yet. You know, give it a little time for some of the, the stronger stuff. Because like, like sis said here, you know, you might be crying and holding on to a crystal. I have no idea <laughs> what's going on. And it's, you know, we don't want you to be pushed away from, you know, it because of the crystals, because of that experience. So, because I know some people can get pushed away by things that are too overwhelming for them, you know. But uh, any questions, uh, like I said, please feel free to DM me. I'm always available. So, one last question before we get into how people can find you. What is your take on crystal grids? I love crystal grids. I think they're dope. I mean, your house technically is a big crystal grid. Um, you have different corners in your house that are for, you know, relationships or prosperity or protection, you know. So uh, you just have to know that your house itself is a big crystal grid. Your body, you know, when it comes to healing is a crystal grid. So... I think that crystal grids as a representation of what you want them to be for. They could, a crystal grid could be a representation for your house. You know, if you don't really know where certain areas are in your house, your relationship corner, your love corner, and things like that, you can use the crystal grid for that. But I mean, ultimately, what they're good for outside to protect your, you know, people from coming up to your houses, but crystals in general. Send them outside, you send them by your front door. I don't have the tourmaline here, but I have a big, huge chunk of tourmaline that um, I usually keep by my front door, keep all the bad vibes out. People don't even want to visit me. They won't come in, you know, they'll kind of stand by the front door and hover a little bit and then it's like a fly and just go on <laughs> about their way. So like crystal grids, definitely really good thing. Um, just be mindful that all crystal grids aren't, you know, created equal. So, you know, I say if you're going to go with one, go with one from somebody who is reputable that makes them and, you know, by hand. Or if you're going to get, you know, like a solid one made out of crystal, because they do have some, which I actually am thinking about trying to find some nice tablets that are made out of crystal, crystal grids. But that's going to be a little bit of a journey. I'll let you guys know when I have some of those. But crystal grids, really great. You can make them yourself too. You know, if you know what it is that you want to do, get you um, a piece of wood or something, maybe a poster board if, you know, wood is too complicated. I love grids. Sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. Mine is made out of wood, it's made out of red oak. And that's beautiful. Yeah, this is it's a little one. It was the first one I got. Oh, I love it. 
It's got the flower on it, flower of life. Yep, sacred geometry. And that's why I'm glad you brought that up because people think that it has to be in grids in order to, in order for it to be perfect, and it doesn't. Um, your body is a grid, like Amina said. Your home is a grid. There are different places that you can put crystals. Like, I move Rosie from my relationship or my love corner just here so I can show. And, and the other half of Slice is in my, uh, my prosperity corner. So mm -hmm. I feel you with that. So I, I, I totally feel you to a T with that. Um, so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I know sometimes with like spirituality, people think that it has to be like this particular one way or else it isn't right. But the thing about that I was talking to a reverend, ironically, because we're talking about the religion of white supremacy and some, some faults within certain religions, that's another conversation. But he was saying that there's not a monopoly on divinity. The church don't have a monopoly on divinity and there's oh. not a monopoly on divinity when it comes to crystals. So I'm really glad you said that because that just continues to support the belief that we have the power to do what works for us and there isn't a monopoly on divinity for any of us. Not at all. It's all interchangeable. Um, it can be shared, you know what I mean? I know Christians who like crystals, you yeah, know? I know. I know Islam is like, kind of like, oh no, the crystal is whatever, but I know uh, Muslims who love crystals, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a metaphysical thing. It's not a religious thing. Thing. you know metaphysical is is so far beyond like anything that's tangible to you you know what i mean so it's like no how are you going to put parameters on energy you can't put parameters on energy it's everywhere it's what's created this earth it's what keeps this, this planet spinning all by, by itself out there in the middle nowhere you know <laughs> what i mean energy is present in everything and everywhere so it's like you can't discount it because of religion that's you know energy was here before religion <laughs> like it was here before religion was religion was was created by man before there was religion there was the principles of the earth you know what i mean before there was medicine there was the principles of what the earth could provide us for medicine so it's the same thing like everything is it's just a progression of what was before you know i know some christians i know a lot of christians who like crystals and i think that um people call it witchcraft sometimes and yeah weird stuff but i'm not one to worry about what other people say <laughs> yeah i stopped giving a damn a long time ago it's something free and you don't care about what nobody think about what you're doing it's mm -hmm. free true freedom yeah i mean because it's like at the end of the day we're all different. It would be boring if we were all the same. Um, it would be boring if we all had the same religion, even so to speak, you know what I mean? Which is why I feel like they're all necessary. You know what I mean? Because you want something that represents you, where you're from, what you look like, whatever it is. And if you feel comfortable with that, then be that. But I don't think that anybody should discount what somebody else feels like is a place of um, peace, for them you know for some people it's being on the sea you know fishing some people it's crystals some people it's making things like i love to make things too i didn't bring any of my um my jewelry but most of this stuff usually ends up wrapped up in some kind of way like this one here a little crystal so i can keep it on my body because you know like i said it's good to have them in your space 
but it's good to keep them on your body any kind of way you can. And carrying those little bags around, crystals in your pocket sometimes, or stuffed in your bra, wherever, gets a bit bulky. You know what I mean? So, like, this is a raw crystal uh, citrine that I just wrapped up with some brass and made a ring out of that I live. Because, like I said, I love citrine. Normally, I keep one of these by my tub. So, when I take a bath, you know, I bathe myself in prosperity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but when I don't have my my generator, I this this is on my finger all the time. <laughs> I love that you have. I remember we talked about this a year ago when we first met. But I love that you're into like big stones being wrapped. Because then yeah. when I wanted this one wrapped, I was like, um, they were like, "Are you sure that needs to be a necklace?" And I was like, "Nah, it reminds me of a ring pop." This is where I, yeah. really, oh, I want a ring pop type of ring. And, and this yeah. one kind of, it just really stuck out to me. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Because, you know, again, I bought it and I was like, this is a really pretty piece. I like it. And this feels right. And he kind of sat there and I said, let me go ahead and wrap this for a mess around and get chipped. Because I was like, I need to get different bags. So I'm going to mess around and chip this on accident. Let me not do this. So it ended up working. So I love to see big crystals get wrapped. Because they're not just meant for necklaces. You can wear them as a ring, too. I love the versatility when it comes to jewelry. And then I have an anklet that um, that jangles and stuff and has bells and stuff. I seen a lot of your jewelry that day, and you have some really good jewelry. So, like, where can people find the jewelry and you? Um, well, you can find me on um, Analogy The Healing Tree. It's Instagram or Analogy 3 The Healing Tree on Instagram. You can find me at Analogy the Healing Tree on Facebook. And then you can also find me at analogythehealingtree.com. I do have a website where, um, you know, you can shop the vibe, anything that you need from regular loose crystals to rings that are wrapped to things that are set in, you know, metal, like the brass ones you see here. There's some silver, you know, set items. And just some fun stuff there, too. I get pretty creative and some things that are really, you know, out the box. But, you know, it's about just having something there for everybody because everybody is not, like she said, you know, wanting that little tiny stone or, you know, somebody wants that big stone that's wrapped. So I try to make something for everyone. I do make men's jewelry. And, um, you know, I get custom requests from people. And I really enjoy when I get those custom requests because it's like I get to know the person and what crystals they really want and why they want those particular crystals. So I really enjoy custom requests. But know that there's always something unique on the website as well that's one of a kind that nobody else will have that's wrapped if you don't want to go with that custom. I'm looking at some of this stuff right now and... I don't know how you setting them, but they are really, really pretty. Um, the stones that are set similar to the one that you have on your hand, those, yeah. I'm just like, sheesh. Then I see that you yeah. got a whole big ass, uh, I'm, trying to I'm trying to figure out what crystal this is. I can't even think of it right now, but the stone is like as, almost as long as that uh, smoky tip crystal you had it's almost it, that long and i'm talking like if the model hand is is the, long, the length of my finger like the crystal go like this like i like i like that kind of stuff the long finger crystals, yeah i'm sorry i'm over here on your side while we interviewing but i'm just looking 
because I see. Yeah. We have a, a Penta Amethyst star. You got mm -hmm. the uh, Power and Respect. Um, I see the Citroen Sun. Yeah. Like, you got some good stuff on here. And um, I see what you mean with men's jewelry. Sometimes men be thinking crystals are super feminine for women, but they're not. So I'm glad that you said that because your rings look like they could be unisex too. You know what I mean? Like some of those rings, I can see a man wearing it. Yeah. There's a unisex section on there. And then there's like a, um, I call it unisex because I know for me, there are some women who have that stronger personality who uh -huh. like uh, the bigger ring or the more what would be considered a masculine ring with the wide band or like the cigar type, you know, band rings. And those are usually more like the menly rings with the wide bands on them. And women usually go for the ones with the thinner band. But, you know, they're interchangeable. And I don't limit them. I let whoever wants to pick whatever style of ring, pick whatever style of ring. Because it's really ultimately it's about the energy of the piece matching you and what you need. And, you know, I get a lot of different mixes. Because I've seen a guy buy something that, I might consider dainty, but guess what? They wear it on like their pinky or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like, okay, <laughs> do what you do, whatever. Do you know? I know I'm wrong with that. Yeah, I just try to make a balance because you got to mix the both energies. It's cool. Yeah, because men are like, do you have anything for men here? Because they look and they automatically see all the big fancy stuff for women and they don't see any of the little intricate men stuff there and I start pointing it out for them, you know, like yeah, yeah. here, here. Like, okay. All right. So but you know custom. It's the way to go. So just here. so I'm clear, so how people can find you. Analogy the healing tree dot com. Analogy the healing tree on Facebook and then analogy three the healing tree on Instagram. Correct. All right. And do you have anything else you want to share with us? I mean, you, you've given us almost, what, two hours worth of game? I might just pick this up into a two-parter. You feel me? Gotcha. I ain't mad at it, though. Yeah. No, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think I've covered, you know, like, the basics for crystals. And I don't want to get, like, too overwhelming with the information because it really is a lot of information with crystals. But like I said, if anybody has a crystal that they don't know what it is, you know, because sometimes I get those where people just bought something because I thought it was pretty or if they want to know if it's a crystal that has any value. You know, you want to get a crystal consultation. I do crystal readings. I bring my crystal deck. I thought I did. You know, I do crystal readings. My nice crystal cards here. They are so awesome. You know, you want to get a crystal reading. Feel free to reach out to me so pretty but that hammer curve was the one it's not even here anymore but they're all so beautiful these cards and it was the reason i got this deck was because the energy of the crystals was really in the deck you know i'm even to the point i'm so picky even to the point that it's not a real crystal but i need the crystal energy in the deck too <laughs> so i, I want to that the person who was making the deck like was tuned in to the energy of the crystal because i've seen some crystal cards that look flat it's like what like no like the crystal these just radiate the energy you know they really do 
colors are vibrant, the pictures are beautiful, and the the crystal spirits are really with this deck. Like it's pretty accurate. I mostly do um, you know, intimate readings. I have done a couple over the uh, the phone before, but I like to do visual ones as much as possible. That's my little card. Crystal card deck, and that's pretty much it. Like, just reach out to me if you have any questions about crystals. I'm here, and um, you know, get a consultation if you want to know about something that may work for you, something custom, or something you just want to buy off of the website. I do consultations for those pieces too. If you think you like it, speaking to you, but you don't really know, you want to know what that particular piece of jewelry what kind of benefits it, it has, you know, reach out to me if you see something on the website you like, but you don't really know if it's fit. Uh, sizing, um, I usually size the rings, so I, I sell them as they are, but occasionally I do make adjustments if it's something that you just feel like you have to have. I do size rings, so you know, that's an option if it's too big. Okay, there we go. I know I went out for a minute. But um, that's it. I don't really have anything else. Well, I mean, you've given us a lot these past couple hours, Mina, and I really appreciate you coming on the platform. And I'm excited to share with everyone all of this game when it comes to crystals. And um, I guess that's it, y'all.